Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life. Encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends through perspectives of hope in Jesus Christ. You may have heard of running a marathon, but have you ever heard of running a complete marathon while juggling? Dr. Jesse Joyner is one of the few people in the world to ever achieve that feat. He has also juggled a running chainsaw while managing to keep all his toes, fingers, and limbs. He performs because he received God's call. And as in Ephesians 4 verse 1, he walks in a manner worthy of that calling. We pause to remind you the reason we have the Good Life Show is to share how the love of Jesus Christ makes a difference in the lives of people. I'm talking about the love of Jesus so strong that he died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried and rose again on the third day, offering God's hope. Yes, God's hope to you. God's hope that was received by Jesse Joyner. And we pray that your heart would be open to receiving Christ as your Savior and Lord and walk in his way, turn from your way to God's way, that's called repentance, follow in the way of Christ. And my friend, if you are already a follower of Jesus, well, stay tuned, because Jesse is going to encourage and inspire you in the name of the Lord. Jesse Joyner, Dr. Jesse Joyner, is a professional entertainer who uses comedy, juggling, audience participation, unicycling, and balancing to provide clean fun for audiences of all ages. He performs nationwide at theaters, festivals, schools, libraries, camps, and other various community events. Jesse earned his Ph.D. in Educational Studies from Trinity International University in Deerfield, Illinois and uses what he learns to produce shows that are both fun and educational at the same time. He lives in Richmond, Virginia with his wife, Sarah, and their three children. Dr. Joyner, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Danny. Jesse, where did you grow up? I grew up in a number of places, up and down the East Coast primarily. Uh, my, I'm the son of a pastor, so my father moved around with pastoral positions or teaching positions, uh, but I was born in the Boston area, believe it or not, uh, in Beverly, uh, north, north of Boston. So I started my life as a New Englander and then uh, moved around to Pennsylvania and then Virginia, and, that, and that's where my family resides at the moment, is in Virginia. Um, my, my wife and I moved here after we met, we met in college 
in Indiana, and then we went to seminary in Kentucky, and then and then we moved back to Virginia. So I have lived in a lot of places, uh, but I do call Virginia my home and Boston my birthplace. <laughs> when you say you've lived in many places, how do your experiences growing up from Boston and now to Virginia and everything in between add flavor to your life perspective? That's a great question. I have reflected on that before as an adult, looking back on my childhood and moving around a lot. And my my parents said that I was the kid that when we were in a public area, like the beach, for example, I would just go up and uh, nobody was a stranger to me. Like I would, I would just make friends with anybody. And so I, I went to maybe, I think I had seven different schools that I went to. I think that's how many, I, seven different schools between kindergarten and 12th grade. So I never had the the same group of kids all through K through 12 to be my peers. So I was always thrust or thrown into, you know, social scenarios where it was sink or swim. You just had to make a, make some friends to survive. Um, and I, and I think that has helped me in my adulthood. I actually didn't even think I was very good at it at the time. Like I, I did feel pushed around and bullied and not very popular. I was, I never felt like I was the cool kid. I was, I felt like I was always the nerd and the guy into weird things like juggling. Um, but again, reflecting back on it as an adult, I, uh, I do believe that, uh, I, there's, there's a little part of me that does feel comfortable just kind of making friends with, with most anybody, even though I didn't feel good at it. <laughs> Who influenced you most with all the traveling in your growing up years? Hmm. It's another good question. I, I, I have to say my father has always been my hero, my greatest influence on a lot of aspects of life. He has always been a very even keeled fellow. He, he's, he received and followed his calling to pastoral ministry back when he was a early college student, late high school. And, and he has been faithful to that calling his entire life uh, through different roles and different positions, different States even living in. Uh, And I've just seen him uh, just as a steady, put your hand to the plow kind of person who stays pretty even keeled about life. And uh, loves Jesus and loves others and tries to to do what he's called to do, um, and and that that's always been a very inspirational thing to me. Um, growing up, it it you could say it was a consistency throughout my entire upbringing of moving around so much is that he was so faithful to his calling and to to his wife. I mean, he my parents have been married now for over forty years, and I think that faithfulness and consistency has has been a huge. Uh, influence on me in my entire life, yeah. Your father's name. What is your father and mother's? What are their names? Yeah, Russell Joyner and Maureen Joyner. Um, and yeah, my mom has been a uh, like an interior designer, interior decorator her whole life. And she's always had a very strong work ethic and was able to, you know, raise three children and pretty much work full time alongside of that. She's always been very, uh, yeah, very hard. She's the one who taught me how to do all my chores around the house. <laughs> Russell <laughs> and, and instilled in me that work ethic. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah and then my my father he his current his current role is that of a uh he's a he's a bible instructor at uh ywam bases youth with a mission bases all over the world so he travels to different countries and he teaches one and two week modules i think mostly one week modules in their uh discipleship training schools uh like teaching the old testament track and the new testament track and so so that's exciting to see him in that role these days as you talk about your dad with uh, ywam and dts and his lifelong commitment to the lord and his calling describe for us briefly just your journey your journey of faith in christ yeah so as a pastor's kid of course i i grew up in the pew and at first i i think i accepted it as a little kid but as i grew older and started to become aware of of my position as a pastor's kid i realized that uh i mean a a lot of things first of all um i realized that a lot of families in the church they they wanted their kids to be friends with me because i was the pastor's kid <laughs> something something about that felt a little weird um like i was part of some like important family or something and my father of course is is a wonderful person but i i don't i don't think i felt anything super special about myself like why would you want to be friends with me um and but i also found out that i could around the ages of 8 9 or 10 I, I realized that I could put on a good show on the outside of, of my life. I could dress up for church. I could, I could know my Bible stories, but behind the scenes, I started to realize that I was, I was in fact a sinner and, and I had, I had my own issues and problems in life. I started hanging out with a, you could call it the wrong crowd of kids at school, getting, getting myself into trouble. And, uh, and it was, it was not until I went to on a youth retreat with my high school. This was right before I entered ninth grade. It was the summer between eighth grade and ninth grade that I went on this summer retreat and they had a week long speaker who would preach to us each evening about Jesus and the gospel. And I had heard all this before, like growing up in the church, but this was a point in my life where I was, I clearly knew right from wrong. I clearly knew that I was, hanging out with the wrong crowd of kids. And I myself was, was living a life of sin. I mean, I, I was like, one example is I would, I would, I would dishonor my parents in ways I would, I would snap back at them or talk back to them and disobey them and uh, get in fights with my brother and just all sorts of stuff that I was living a selfish life in the flesh. So sitting here, listening to those sermons at this youth retreat, um, something penetrated my heart that was deeper than just the head knowledge of the Bible stories. Suddenly I started to feel a conviction, which looking back on it, it was the conviction of the Holy Spirit, like convicting me that uh, I needed Jesus and not, I, I, I didn't automatically become a Christian just because my dad is a pastor. I think I was kind of living under that illusion for most of my childhood. Um, yeah, like when I was four, I said the sinner's prayer, you know, like I remember saying that. And and so throughout my childhood, I thought that was that was enough. Um, but it was when I was 13 and I I I, I heard the gospel and it penetrated me in a in a in a deep way. That's when I believe that the prayer, the sinner's prayer that I said at age four, it's almost like Jesus was 
making that real in my heart as a 13 year old. Um, when you asked me what was my salvation moment, I, I believe it was when I was 13 because because then I that's when I went down to the altar at that at the invitation for salvation at that youth retreat. Um, reluctantly, I will say I was, <laughs> I was I didn't want to respond to the invitation to follow Jesus Christ in front of all my friends. I thought it would I I was embarrassed to do so because I was the pastor's kid. I didn't want them to think that it, the pastor's kid wasn't saved already. <laughs> <laughs> so it took a, a little more courage. It did. I, well, I, it took, you know, the funny thing is the, the, the evangelist that week at that youth retreat, he ended up calling me out um, and telling, like, just telling me to come down for the invitation yeah. <laughs> because I wouldn't do it on my own. Um, he, I do not believe he was manipulating me, but he gave like a second and third invitation. You, maybe you've seen an evangelist. Yes. Give an invitation. One more. There's and, one and, more person here. Yeah, yeah. There's still more people out there. There's and then more. there's still and so he was doing that and he he gave a third invitation. He said there's still two more people that need to give their life to Jesus. And he pointed it at two of us in the room, one girl on one side of the room, and then he pointed at me. Like you need to Well, we'll just call that we'll we'll call that pastor's kids courage, okay? PK courage. You're yeah, listening exactly. You're listening to yeah. Dr. Jesse Joyner. Dr. Joyner is a professional entertainer who uses comedy, juggling audience participation, unicycling. He's a pianist. He can sing. He's really a renaissance man for the Lord and balancing all this to provide fun for audiences of all ages. When we come back, we'll talk about juggling, a passion that has carried on. Well, there's sort of a parallel even. We'll let Jesse talk about that discovering juggling and his commitment to Christ and how those two have been with him for all his life. My friend, as you listen today, open your heart to what the Lord has to say to you. Gently, strongly, lovingly. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life Famously beneath the barren James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Dr. Jesse Joyner wrote Holy Fools, exploring the journey of Christian variety performers. His PhD dissertation at Trinity International University 
Jesse graduated from Trinity, and prior to that, Taylor University in Upland, Indiana, and from Asbury Theological Seminary, where he earned his, P- his Master of Divinity degree in Wilmore, Kentucky, studying the Bible and pastoral ministry. Jesse, as we talk about your work in a variety, as a variety performer, when did you first discover your passion for juggling? I remember taking a a class in third grade during gym class. I think it was required. We would all we all went to the gymnasium, and I remember them passing out scarves, like colorful scarves, and learning how to how to juggle. Like the it's called a cascade pattern, where you just kind of crisscross the the scarves in the air. The re- the reason scarves are used for first time learners is because when you throw them, they kind of float down. So, uh, so it's, it's a little bit easier on you gravity wise than starting with say tennis balls or baseballs. Um, I had that experience as a third grader, but then I didn't really, uh, get very good at it at the time. I just practiced with all my peers and, and then put it aside, but fast forward a couple of years from there, fifth grade, I my best friend at the time was a guy named Tim and I was living in a new state now from when I was in third grade. Now I was in Pennsylvania and this new friend I had made, his name was Tim. Uh, I would play at his house. We'd trade baseball cards, do things that, uh, you know, eight, nine, 10 year olds would do back in the late eighties, early nineties. And he could juggle three balls. And I thought that was really interesting and because he was my friend and he could juggle three balls, but I couldn't yet, I made him teach me. So he showed me the the basics of juggling three balls. And I found some little hacky sacks around my house. And so after he taught me, I went home to, I went home and practiced on my own. And I remember practicing for, I think a couple hours a day for two weeks, just in my bedroom by myself, just self-teaching the rest from there after he showed me the basic pattern i just kept working on it until i could get better at it um and apparently i had a knack for it because my interest level all of a sudden just something clicked in me and i went to the library and i got all the books i could about juggling and read them cover to cover and started trying to learn all the new tricks like how to do four balls and how to throw it under your leg and how to throw up behind your back and I was I dabbled in other things as a kid, like playing baseball or soccer or uh, doing plays at school, you know, like just exploring everything. But none of them clicked or connected with me the way that juggling did. And uh, that Christmas, it was I think it was Christmas of fifth grade or sixth grade, right around there. My parents got me like an official set of juggling balls. They saw that they saw that talent in me. And so they responded by getting me like a legit set of juggling balls that were made for juggling. Like instead of just these little hacky sacks that that have loose stitching on them and get busted easily, um, they bought quality juggling balls from this company in Canada, I think, that uh, comes in a nice little box and has instructions. And they're really solid, you know, well-made juggling balls. And I used those and just worked on more tricks. And eventually... After, after about two years of a lot of 
practicing in my home for hours on end on my knees in my bedroom because my ceiling wasn't high enough to ju to juggle a lot of odd objects standing up. Um, I figured out how to do five balls like all by myself, and I felt really excited about that. It's it's an amazing feeling to be able to juggle five balls in the air, um, and and just kind of that ex that feeling of defying gravity with objects. It's 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 a thrill. Um, the thrill of the artist when you when you find something that you click with. Um, so there's more, but that was kind of the beginning of, of my story. In 1978, speaking of those exhilarating moments, yeah. 1978 classic, The Clown of God by Tomie Di Paola. Yes. What did monks teach young juggler Giovanni? Yes, yes. I'm glad you brought that up. It's, it's a great story. Um, Tommy DePaola, yeah, is a children's author who unfortunately passed, just passed away uh, during COVID. And he wrote dozens, I think, of, of children's literature books. And one of them is this, this precious story called The Clown of God. And it's, it's a, a remake of of an ancient tale from the medieval period called Our Lady's Juggler or Our Lady's Tumbler, um, the Juggler of Notre Dame. So there's different terms for it, but his take on the story, the, the the clown of God, has this little juggler named Giovanni going from town to town in Europe, performing on the streets and earning a living and doing very well for himself as as a as well as you can as a traveling performing artist. And in between towns, he runs into these monks uh, and they end up uh, just chatting, sharing a meal together. And uh, the the dialogue comes up that, that Giovanni mentions to the monks, like, oh, it's all very good and well for you that you're doing the work of the Lord, um, but I'm just a juggler, you know, I, I like just a juggler. And the monks say back to him, more or less, it's not just juggling. The work that you're doing uh, is also bringing glory to God. Like by bringing joy and smiles to audiences all over Europe, you are simultaneously bringing glory to God. You can do both at the same time. And it was that, that was something new for Giovanni to hear that, that you can actually glorify God and do what appears to be simply uh, very basic human level work, right? It's not often seen as a sacred vocation, um, but these monks were affirming the sacredness of his work in him. And later on in the story, um, Giovanni gets old and frail and is unable to juggle uh, very well anymore. And he starts dropping his objects in the shows and people start laughing at him and throwing tomatoes at him. And he kind of loses his sense of purpose because his, his weakness has now caused him to not be able to juggle very well. Uh, so he admits himself into a monastery. <laughs> he, he finds himself just searching for some way to survive the, the last years of his life. And he goes into a monastery and he, he's looking for something useful to do in the monastery, but he doesn't feel like he has, has any gifts to offer. Um, he, does, he doesn't have the gift of uh, a teaching or singing or planting or gardening. Some of the other monks are doing all of these, uh, what appear to be more sacred things around the monastery uh, in service to God, but he doesn't have anything to offer. He feels at first, 
but then with the little strength he has left in his in his body um he goes into the the like the little small chapel each evening and he juggles uh in it's it's an originally catholic tale so he goes into the the the, the chapel with the statue of the Virgin Mary and he juggles for the Virgin Mary. Um, and in some of the, in, in the earlier versions of the story from the medieval period, what happens is that when he's juggling for the statue, um, one of those times, the monks while peering through the keyhole, watching Giovanni juggle for the statue, they're, they're filled with contempt and, you know, Oh, this is blasphemous, like juggling in the house of God. But then one night when he's doing it and they're watching him, the the statue of Mary comes to life and she um, and she like lays her hand on uh, his head or his shoulder and blesses him. Uh, and this is, by the way, after he's he's juggled his heart out for her and and collapses on the floor in tiredness from juggling. And in some cases, he actually dies. And um, it's the symbolic like pouring oneself out at the altar. And but but then at the end, that's when Mary comes to life and blesses him. In De Paula's version, uh, it's it shows like a, the the stained glass window image of Jesus. It kind of shows Jesus holding the one of the juggling balls or with a smile on his face. It's a response to the the oblation, if you will, of his work as a juggler, like the the sacrificial offering of what he has to offer. So the the moral of the story at the end is is what those monks taught him is that your uh the work that you think is just very basic human work is actually very sacred work and it is an acceptable offering unto the lord what a beautiful story it really is i would encourage anybody to go look it up it's just look up the juggler of notre dame and there's a lot of literature out there there's a lot of versions of the story too um and and it's it's christmas time right now as you and i are recording this and the um the story of the little drummer boy is is kind of a parallel story it's the you know i don't feel like i have much to offer but what the talent that i do have i'll do for him like i'll all i know how to do is drum so i'm just going to drum for the lord it's so it's the story of the little drummer boy it's the 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 carol in the bleak midwinter the um about like the you know if i was just a shepherd what would what could i give him you know like i would i would give him my heart i'll give him whatever i've got um you know i i don't look like i have much to offer but the little bit that i do offer do have i'm going to offer it to jesus um that that's the story of the juggler of notre dame jesse when we come back let's talk a little bit more because there's an underlying theme that i i i hear and sense but as you continue to speak, it becomes more and more pronounced. When we come back, let's talk about Pope John Paul II's message in Letter to Artists that you included in your, your work, Holy Fools, exploring the journey of calling for Christian variety performers. You're listening to Dr. Jesse Joyner. He'll share more heart-to-heart with you, dear friend. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life. 
On behalf of Danny Yamashiro Ministries, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, weekdays at 6 p.m. on WEZE, and visiting drdanny.live for more resources. My dear friend, it is because of listeners and donors like you that we are able to spread the message of Jesus' love and bring hope to people like you, your family, and friends. Proverbs 11.25 says, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Will you prayerfully consider donating to Danny Yamashiro Ministries so that we may continue to broadcast the gospel so believers will be built up and non-believers may form a relationship with Jesus Christ? Visit drdanny.live to make a financial contribution today. That's drdanny.live. And thank you again for supporting The Good Life with Dr. Danny. May God richly bless you with The Good Life. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. In 1999, Jesse Joyner started a juggling ministry that taught the message of the gospel in creative ways. He later served as a term as the president of the Christian Jugglers Association and has also held memberships with the International Jugglers Association, the Fellowship of Christian Magicians, and the World Clown Association. He's performed for audiences in over 35 states and on three continents. If you're tuning in right now, maybe caught the tail end of that last segment, you can find out more about Dr. Jesse Joyner at jessejoyner.com jessejoyner.com. And if you want to get this podcast, it's available for you. Go to drdanny.live. Jesse, Pope John Paul II wrote a message in Letter to Artists. There is a theme in what you're saying. Could you expand a little bit more for us on that? Yeah, I... I have the quote right here. Um, He said, society needs artists just as it needs scientists, technicians, workers, professional people, witnesses of the faith, teachers, fathers, and mothers. Uh, He he said in that same letter, he said that uh, with with the advent of modernism, uh, the idea of Christian humanism has been increasingly subverted by secular humanism. Uh, so this has sometimes led to a separation, he says, of the world of art and the world of faith. And I think that's, it's pretty evident if you just look around. The generation I grew up in, in the church, North American church, we've often uh, just kind of siloed the word calling to reserve it for uh, the pastors and the missionaries. Maybe if you're generous, also extending it also to the first responders and and you know uh, teachers and doctors and nurses and the, the helping professions, right? If you're generous, but everybody else, they're just kind of like they just kind of work and they earn money to then if you're if you're a part of the church you know you tithe from that income and then that helps to support all these other people that are living out the sacred callings right like we've kind of separated 
these two worlds of like sacred work and quote unquote normal work. And that that's what Pope John Paul was lamenting is that with modernism, we've somehow extracted, um, you know, the idea of sacred calling out of the normal professions and just given it to just a few professions. Um, so, so he's saying we, the society needs the artists just as much as everybody else. And, and I believe there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, I mean, first of all, art is really one of the, it's, it's one of the most human things that we do. Um, in, in as humans is, is creating art. And, and I believe as a Christian that that points back to our artistic God, our creative God. He is the creator of the universe and he created us and he made us in his image. And so as image bearers, we are also creatives. Um, so when we as humans produce art, um, and it doesn't necessarily even have to have much of a utilitarian purpose, I believe. Um, when we produce art, we are simply uh, like reflecting back to God, uh, his, his image, and, and hopefully like giving glory to him through that. Um, and, and I don't think any of us would deny that we've been touched in a meaningful way by art in some part of our lives, whether it be a song or a symphony or a, or a ballet or uh, a great novel uh, or even a juggling show like these, the art takes us to places and it does something deep inside of us that really most like the other professions in life just can't do for us. And sometimes just saves, saves our lives and saves our souls in a way that nothing else can. Yes. As you've lived this life and as you, explored through your research the lives of other performers what did your your what did you find hmm. when it comes to journey joy community and oblation you mentioned oblation earlier yeah what 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 do they mean as themes that you've observed yeah so what i did in in my PhD dissertation research was I went out and I interviewed uh, a deep dive interview, like about about an hour long interview with uh, 30 different variety performers who professed to be Christians and also believed that their work was the, their life calling, you know, or their their vocational calling uh, in that God or that God had called them to do this kind of work. So to them, it was a sacred calling, kind of like the, the Giovanni and the story learned at the end. And, and most of them have been, had been doing it for, you know, at least eight to 10 years, many of them 15 to 20 years of doing, of living out their work and living out this calling through all those interviews. I saw those four themes rise to the top. The ones you just mentioned, uh, journey, joy, community, and oblation. And I, I could, we could go deep into each one of those, but I'll, I'll just speak on joy for a moment. The word, the word joy is, I mean, there's just so much to it, but that was the best way I could describe the, like the lives and stories and callings of these performers. When they told me their stories of living out their callings, they were all full of joy, like, and the joy of, of doing their work 
the joy that they sensed inside themselves when they, whatever it was that they did as a variety performer, whether it was juggling or doing uh, magic tricks, illusions, uh, doing a clowning show, uh, walking on a tightrope, like sword swallowing. I mean, I interviewed lots of different uh, variety entertainers, which was fun, like hear, hearing about all the different things that they did. But for them personally, it brought joy to do their their thing. And I resonated with that because as a juggler, I understand that. When I throw things in the air and juggle them, it brings me a joy that is really hard to describe. And I, I think it's simply because I'm... I'm living out what I believe God had wired me for. So when we do that, something clicks inside of us and we have this, this deep joy, but the joy doesn't stop with us. What we do ideally, and this is what I found in the performers is that because they're living out a life of performing this art that they believe God has given them, they're passing on that joy to others. They're, they're providing joy to the audiences. And so when the audiences are watching them, uh, it's, um, it, it's that transfer of joy, if you will, uh, to others. And, and, and I understand that too, as an audience member, when I watch other people do something amazing, it, it brings me a sense of joy. And in some ways it kind of makes you forget about the, uh, you know, the cares of the world for a moment sometimes, uh, or, or it helps you just put life into perspective, especially the circus performers and variety performers we like to turn things upside down and uh look at life through a different lens than most other people do and i think do by doing that it helps it helps the audiences just kind of uh think about life in a different perspective or or even have something like hope that um oh there there is something more to this life than just uh you know, gravity <laughs> you know it, it might be possible to defy gravity you know when you watch yes. these acrobats flying through the air Yes. that are seemingly defying gravity. And I, th th when we watch acrobats fly through the air, we're filled with wonder and awe and hope that, that things in this world, you know, the gravity that holds us down, even, it, even to, uh, you know, the, the, the darkness of this world, if you will, there's hope that, that a light can be turned on and something better is out there and something better exists. Cause I see these people, you know, defying the things that are weighing us down on this earth. Henry Nowen wrote, make the work of my hands into prayer. You include that in your dissertation. What does that say to you, Jesse? Yeah. Yeah, he wrote that when he was uh, reflecting on his time uh, living with like monks at a monastery. And he had seen them just doing simple tasks uh, like cleaning shoes or something. And, and, and he saw in them an attitude of prayer in doing the mundane tasks. And he was really struck by that. And so, so his, his prayer back to God was, yeah, help me to see everything I do in my life as a prayer back to you. Um, when I interviewed these performers, uh, a number of them brought up without me bringing it up that I didn't solicit this from them. They, they spoke about Eric Liddell, the, um, the Scottish Olympic runner who the, the movie Chariots of Fire is based on his story. Um, he's one of his lines in the film Chariots of Fire. Uh, he's talking to his sister who wants him to go to China to be a missionary and, and, you know, and le leave the life of running. And he says to her, he says, 
um, but God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And a number of my participants brought up that very story when I asked them about the joy that they sensed inside of them. And, and they talked about that line from that film. Um, we don't know if Eric Liddell actually said that line. That's just the, the, the script writer, you know, put that, put those words in his mouth. Um, but the script writer even said that based on what he knew or, you know, or studied of Eric Liddell, he believed that it reflected the, the spirit of Eric Liddell, if you will, like his attitude towards things. Um, so when I run, I feel his pleasure. Like God made me fast. Like, so back to what Nowen said, it's like everything we do, we, we want to um, seek the Lord's pleasure and, and, and find his pleasure inside of us while we're doing it. And that I believe is like a prayer. It's like just communing with God and abiding with him in all that we do, uh, even the most mundane of tasks. And, uh, and I, it's certainly a virtue that I, I want to, I personally want to continue to pursue in my own life in, in all things, uh, so that we're not separating the aspects of life, like Pope John Paul had said, uh, but we're holistically bringing together all, all parts of life from, I mean, I have little kids, like changing a diaper <laughs> to, uh, washing the dishes, um, to going on a walk and hearing the birds chirping outside. Those are all things that I, I want to learn and grow in to m see them all as a prayer, like an attitude of like just worshiping God through all the all the tasks of life. You're listening to Dr. Jesse Joyner. Dr. Joyner learned how to juggle three beanbags from his friend Tim when he was 11 years old. And one thing led to the next and soon... Jesse found himself street performing in Jerusalem, sharing a stage lineup with comedian Sinbad and being employed as an entertainer for Paramount Parks. When we come back in our final segment, yes, a time of prayer. Yes, a time of reflection. I just love listening to Jesse reflect. He puts into words things that we might have been thinking about we might not even have been thinking about but instinctively there's something that resonates in our hearts as he speaks like circus performers in suspended animation bringing hope stay with us we'll be right back wandering the road of desperate life aimlessly beneath the barren sky hi this is danny yamashiro a police officer found a girl crying on the sidewalk one day. What's wrong, he asked. I'm lost, she said. Do you have your parents' phone number, he asked. No, she said. What about your address? No, she began to sob. Suddenly, she stopped, and her eyes brightened. What happened, the officer asked. I remember, she said. There's a church near my house, and at the top of the church, there's a cross. Take me to the cross. Take me to the cross. Because when I see the cross, I'll be able to find my way home. My friend, if you feel like you've lost your way, turn to the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ, who died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. Will you turn to Jesus? Open your heart to Him and find your way home to God.
You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Dr. Jesse Joyner, his credits have included TV, radio, uh, a halftime performance for the Washington Mystics, medals at the World Juggling Championship. Well, he joins us today to speak about his book, Holy Fools, exploring the journey of calling for Christian variety performers. You can find out more about Jesse Joyner at jessejoyner.com. Jesse, how has the Lord helped you through challenging times? Mm, That's a great question. His grace through many different ways, you know, his, his manifold grace, many fold grace, uh, through the different challenging times of my life. I, I can think of him taking me through challenges using other people, you know, people around me to encourage me, to point me in the right direction. Um, using his scripture, his word to, uh, to, to help me in my challenging times and moments. Um, I mean, I, I remember, uh, just to give you an example, um, right after seminary, uh, when I was in my mid to late twenties, I graduated from Asbury Seminary, and I had a I had a close friend who happened to be another juggler, and uh, he he was a very strong atheist, and um, he and I he and I would dialogue together. We would talk about atheism and Christianity, and uh, exchange. Uh, books and articles to read, you know, about our different positions. And, and we would, um, we would banter back and forth. And I, you know, I would pray for him and I still do. Um, And, you know, very, a very, very kind man. Uh, But through those discussions and dialogues, um, I, I actually started having a a bit of a crisis of faith. I, I started listening deeply to some of his objections to Christianity and um, it, some of them sunk in pretty deeply and it made me, it challenged me to kind of think through and pray through what I really did believe in life and, and about my own faith in the Lord. Um, and I shared this with my pastor at the time that I, that these struggles I was having that like, wow, you know, uh, what if, what if what I've been taught my whole life is just, uh, you know, is, <clears throat> is a big lie or a big show or something like that. And he pointed me to the Psalms. He said, he said, just read the Psalms. And I, I, I took his advice and I just read the Psalms and, and the Psalms brought me so much comfort during, I guess what you could call a dark night of the soul. Um, it, it was this, it, it, I was having doubts and a crisis of faith in my own heart internally, even though I had just graduated from seminary and the Psalms brought me like helped the Lord brought me through using the Psalms and using my pastor's advice um, because the Psalms just cover so much, they cover so much emotion and so much human experience. They, they cover the highs and the lows. Um, it's not just all, all flowers and roses the whole time. Um, there's lament and there's praise and there's struggle and there's, uh, <clears throat> there's sin and there's repentance. Um, and it, it, it just kind of captures every human emotion that we struggle through. And maybe through reading those, I felt like I wasn't alone. You know, like with, I can, I can journey through the hard times with the psalmist. Um, 
But then there was an around that time, I also stumbled upon a verse in the Gospels that I had never really thought deeply about before, but it really struck me during this time in my life. It's and I think it's if I'm not mistaken, I think it's John uh, six. Six sixty-six of all verses, <laughs> like six six six. I mean, let me make sure. As I'm quoting scripture, I never want to get it wrong. Um, and yeah, if you look at John six sixty-six, yeah, this is it. Um, it's when many disciples desert, deserted Jesus. Um, it says from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And then in verse sixty-seven. Uh, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And then in verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? That verse did so much for me in that challenging time in my life because I thought to myself, you know what? If I were to leave Jesus, you know, like at this point in my life, if I were to walk away from this faith that has changed my life, where would I go? <laughs> what would i do like i i was like i can resound with peter there we're like there there is nothing better than what you offer jesus like you you are the way and the truth and the life and i would be completely lost without you and and that and that's what i confess to him to this day that like to whom would i go i would have there would be no place for me to go there is no home for me other than my home in christ um and that verse really clicked for me back then, and it still does, um, like like Peter's response to Jesus in that moment. That's um, a word of, so, that's yeah. a word of encouragement. And, and oh, yeah. It helps, helps bring yeah, so, a level so of that's what, Yeah, so that's what helped me through those challenging times was others and his word, and, the, and that's one example. Sorry, what, what were you saying? Sorry about that. Well, Jesse, I was just going to mention that, as you've so included in your work, the quote by E.B. White the author of Stuart Little, children's books like Charlotte's Web and The Trumpet mm -hmm. of the Swan, how E.B. White says, the circus artist spreads the good aroma of courage and daring. Mm. Let's turn that into a, a word of encouragement to a listener who's struggling, whether it's a crisis of faith or a moment in their own life and they're looking for hope, they're looking for strength, a word of encouragement. And I also want to ask you to pray for that dear one who's listening. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so one, one of my interview subjects was a tightrope walker. And he said that when he walks on the tightrope, he can only successfully do it if he keeps his gaze uh, on a on a fixed, unmoved point at the end of the wire, like at the other side of the wire. So you've got this long tightrope walk, walk, wire stretched, and he has to he has to find like like a fixed point somewhere right right above the other side of the wire, thirty feet away, and he has to keep his gaze fixed on it and walk straight towards that point. Um, and that that meant so much to me. He he makes the point himself when he speaks. He's a believer, and so when he when he does his performance, sometimes he will speak about that metaphorically, meaning keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, 
the the fixed unmoved point at the end of the wire at you know like throughout our whole lives that's that's the only way we can balance on the tightrope of life is keeping our eyes fixed and gazing upon jesus um that that's one way that i believe the variety arts uh spread the good aroma you know of of life and spread the light and the joy that most i i believe most other professions in the world can't do like the variety performing just has there's something about uh puppets and clowns and magicians and jugglers like there's just something because they're so unique and it's just so odd and out of the ordinary that it kind of speaks to us deeply as humans that like yeah life is kind of crazy and life is like juggling and life is like you know uh falling off the tightrope walk walk <laughs> or life is like tripping over everything like a clown does um you know and these people help help the audience know that they're not alone um so so i want you know the the listeners today like if there's someone listening today who is struggling through something uh, i want them to know that they're not alone i want them to know that uh that jesus is is aware of your need and jesus has experienced uh like everything under the sun and he can walk with us through uh those challenging moments and uh and and carry us through and he calls us to keep our eyes fixed on him so um so yeah i'd be, I'd be happy to pray right now is that can, can we do that danny yes yeah. so heavenly father i do pray for um for for anyone who's struggling right now who's struggling with maybe it's a crisis of faith maybe it's uh, a momentary crisis in their family maybe it's a season of life they're going through that is especially difficult um either physically or financially or some relationship in their lives that it seems insurmountable it seems like uh it 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 seems like walking a tightrope um and and they feel like they're just they're about to fall and it's all going to come crashing down um, and I pray that you would give us uh, like a vision of who you are as the as the holy fool, the the one who is um, in the circus ring, and and Jesus, the the world calls you a fool, but we know that you are the holy one who has come to save us and who has come to rescue us, and who has come to be our constant uh, in the in the crazy circus of life. And so I, I pray for all of those struggling right now that you would be with them and carry them alongside of you and and send them your grace in its manifold ways um to bless them through your word through the encouragement of community through your holy spirit ministering to their heart right now um that that you would comfort them in jesus name we pray amen 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 jesse thank you for your prayer thank you for your heart for your encouragement with us today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Danny. Inspiring words from Dr. Jesse Joyner, jessejoyner.com. God's timing is perfect, my friend, and there's no better time than right now to share the love of Jesus with someone near you. And if you haven't done so, look, I believe this may be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus. Go to drdanny.live for next steps and to find more resources to reach family and friends Go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast platforms. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Dr. Jesse Joyner, jessejoyner.com. Until next time, along with my producer, David Nasora, 
Creative Director Brian Torres, Web Designer Shina Kusumoto, Social Media Director Luke Yamashiro, and Guest Coordinator Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.